night, last night. Last night, Kenifer was reflecting on the qualities of heart. that naturally manifest. When the heart is more empty and free from grasping and rejection, he spoke about the what the Buddha called the divine abiding. The Brahma Vihara, the noble, the noble abodes. Which are abidings which are accessible to us here and now. When we recognize the limitations when we're trapped in our contractions or seeking or resistance. I'd like to speak some this morning and encourage us to bring this uh, notion into our practice today about this first uh, divine abiding, this Brahma-vihara, which can be a natural response to the world when our heart is more at ease, what the Buddha called the heart of loving-kindness, heart of metta. This can be a natural response. which can happen in moments when we just find ourselves uh, being kind, being friendly. But it's also something that can be cultivated. Quality which can help, uh, as Tanitha was saying last night, melt the hardnesses of the heart, soften the heart, help to balance some of the more unskillful tendencies. We were very fortunate in our uh, monastic training, I believe, to have to have Ajahn Chah as our teacher uh, and to have uh, his senior Western disciple at the time was Ajahn Sumato who uh, grew up in America and certainly uh, grew through and was very familiar with uh, our Western modern conditioning. And he shared this uh, principle of uh, metta in a very subtle way. Because uh, sometimes the classical 
classical presentation of the teaching seem to condition a lot of aversion. <laughs> and a lot of us had, uh, reacted against ideas that you're supposed to be loving and supposed to be this and supposed to be that and, and consciously or unconsciously uh, reacted against hypocrisy when people seem to be saying something and you feel something else and reacted against trying to make ourselves a certain way and really appreciated the the uh, meditative teachings of just looking into the way things are and uh, for many of us uh, in the monastery maybe more particularly the men I don't know the you know, we were interested in samadhi, we were interested in getting calm, we were interested in breaking through. And um, the deathless. Basically, there was a lot of aversion there, but it wasn't really seen, but that's what we were interested in. And it, we tended to think that metta practice was uh, for kindergartners. You know, may I be well, may you be well, or for, or for old ladies. <laughs> may all beings be well. <laughs> I just love all beings. You know, sometimes it... Once someone was trying to teach us metta and we're encouraging us to say, Pity sorrow, I love you. And, you know, for men, that's really tough. <laughs> I love you. And you just think, God, what is that about? So, uh, metta could often get left on the shelf. It's for what appeared to be like a whitewash job or some kind of, you know, kind of, trying uh, kind of, to kind of pour honey on top of everything. You feel like you've kind of got a gooey mess. So meanwhile, we're doing the real practice, really getting getting concentrated, and and then finding all these things that stop us from getting concentrated. You know, I've had a, a personal kind of quest to remove all clocks from the universe. At times, sometimes Knissa will walk into a room and say, where are the clocks? <laughs> and uh, they'll be hidden, ticking clocks will be hidden inside pillows. And <laughs> you'll sit on one and maybe smash one. I remember one winter retreat in, in the monastery that uh, uh, the, the teacher, I couldn't believe it, they had this incredible banging clock. Right? <laughs> clang, clang, just getting peaceful, clang, get peaceful for another three quarters of a second, clang. <laughs> and I would find a non-ticking clock, surreptitiously change it, put a padding under it, shield it, or just plain hide it. And um, certainly noise, noise does penetrate. And I think it is useful to be aware of the impact of sound and to be sensitive to each other 
but to, to be aware of if our calm is so dependent on not having something in the slightest tick and throw us over. It's not exactly the unshakable deliverance of the heart. <laughs> and um, so Ajahn Sumedho, our, our, um, our Western abbot, uh, I think he had a really lovely insight, a significant insight early on as to what metta was really about. What is this heart of kindness about? What is it that offsets aversion? What is it that does that? And he realized that the essence, this is very important, the essence of this divine abiding is non-fighting. It's the willingness to peacefully be with. The recognition that on, on one level, not as an ultimate position in everything that we do all the time, but in terms of a perspective, a, a subtle perspective, that everything has its place. Everything has its perfection. So when he encouraged us to practice uh, uh, this teaching, he encouraged us to, to welcome conditions and to notice what happens when we're welcoming. Sometimes we're so busy doing our spiritual practice and, and getting calm and out of my way because I'm, I'm getting calm. We're, we're not aware of just how much aversion there is there. What happens if we welcome, allow, notice the qualities of that condition? Or as Tanisara was uh, relating the story last night of when I was the prison chaplain and the uh, young man I was visiting was convinced he had no kindness, had no compassion. And I encouraged them, well, can you have a moment of being willing to be with that very feeling, that conviction? I don't have kindness. Conviction of I'm enraged. This peaceful allowance, this willingness to be with, then allows a space around conditions. It helps reveal the, the identification, the contraction around something. That allowing. In that particular case, uh, of, uh, when I was visiting this young man in the prison, I introduced him uh, for a time to a whole new dimension of his being. But if we think kindness means that we have to always have these 97% fragrant thoughts, you know, that that means that that's what kindness means. We have to have, then that's, that's quite a, yes, that's wonderful when that's a natural blossoming of the loving heart. Then, then there can be loving thoughts. There can be beautiful expressions.
but that's quite a, a, a flowering of the of the state. What about when there's not loving thought? What about when there's just resistance? Where is the place of metta there? Can we have kindness for? Can we listen to? This is where the, the phrase Kuan Yin, the one who listens, notice that takes one to a similar place, the willingness to receive, willingness to be with. The willingness to be with the rain. Willingness to be with the damp. We allow into the heart the perfection of the temperature. Perfection of the sensations that we're feeling. Sometimes we can be quite unconscious about a sense of bracing ourselves, just subtly in a in, in terms of perception, bracing ourselves against the, the weather, bracing ourselves against the sound, bracing ourselves against ourselves, the memories we don't want to have, the, the thoughts which are disturbing. What happens if the very center of the abiding is not dependent on the condition, not dependent on whether the thought's there or not, whether the sensation is there or not? Whether the thought is fragrant or not, the the seed, the seed of the divine abiding is the mudra the attitude, the willingness to dwell with, to open to. That is where the ease from the abiding comes. That's where the divinity from the abiding comes. Allowing then a space so that the various conditions can move through that abiding, be touched by that abiding, be blessed by a willingness to hear a willingness to feel, a willingness to allow, which is not saying I like, not saying I approve of. Notice it takes one to a very unified, if we're having trouble getting a feeling for what a unified place is. Unified means it all is, is in, it's all a part of the fabric. All has its place. Noticing what happens if we let this day, just as it is now, be welcomed, be received. And maybe the mind is restless and it can't really stay there and then it goes over there and then it goes, oh gosh, I can't do the divine abiding because my mind is too restless. The restless mind, the prickly, the bouncing. Is there room in the, in the kind heart for the, the bouncing mind? Okay. Bigger space, let the mind bound. Big space, allowing the restless mind, allowing the darkness of the day, allowing that, allowing the sensations of the body. Doesn't pick and choose. 
doesn't just say, I only want the nice ones, I don't want the unnice ones, and the boring ones, well, we just won't worry about those. Just notice allowing them, anything that's painful, honoring that. But what if I have to move? Honoring that. The pleasing sensations, allowing that. Being okay with that. The neutral ones, the fuzzy ones, being okay with that. Notice where that takes the heart to around, open, embracing, allowing, non-contending, place. The word welcome occurs to me as a very lovely word because this attitude takes one to a well place. To welcome means the, the position. The attitude is one of generating a space, an opening, a willingness, a wellness. Also like a deep well, because a well goes deep, opens. Allows the surface and the depth all to be accepted. And it allows what comes to come, what goes to go. Very wonderful poem by Rumi that speaks to this. Poem, I think Rumi was a 13th century Sufi mystic. Wonderful, humorous, profound poetry. Taking, taking one to the essence of how things are. This poem is called The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness. (coughs) Some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still. Treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. The unacknowledged aversion is such an obstacle. It creates a cramped space. 
create a toxic space. I said the unacknowledged aversion. It creates that which is out there, that which is in here. It's a manifestation of attachment that leads to all sorts of struggle and birth and death. This, this attitude of welcoming, just, just get a feeling of what that does. Okay, there is the aversion, there is whatever the condition is that we're looking at that has been identified with. The sense of welcoming encourages, allows us to access another dimension of this moment that we've forgotten about, this dimension of the listener, dimension of the inner space, dimension of the of the heart that can acknowledge there is aversion, there is restlessness, there is confusion, there is deep discouragement. Tanisha and I often wake up in, in the morning and we have a chorus of mantras that go something like this. It's too difficult. Then you will say, it's too difficult. And I say, it's very difficult. I can't do it. And she'll say, I can't do it. And we welcome at the door laughing. That, that sometimes when one wakes up, that sense of, that sense of, no. So, even to say it sometimes, and it's nice because it's a running joke with us, because that's how it feels oftentimes in the morning, it's too difficult. But when we say it, and I hear her say it, oftentimes I burst out laughing. Because can, can, one, can one really be with it? It's too difficult. But this dear, 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 wise teacher and friend of ours, Godwin Samararatana, one of his, he had profound understanding, profound insight into the subtleties of the Pali teachings. Yet one of his main ways of teaching was just this, because he knew it was so needed, it was such an essential medicine. He would say again and again and again, can you be okay with not being okay? That same thing, isn't it? To be okay with, I'm not okay. It's, I don't understand. I can't do it. It's confusing. I don't even want to develop methods. I mean, okay, sounds fine, but I don't want to. It's fine, I don't, I mean, it's true. It's a fact. Fact, there is. I don't want to. And, and okay, but can you be okay? with that. Give one just a sense of even a tiny bit of space around that, allowing that. Not having to do anything about that. Consciously, for a moment, to cultivate the sense of the perfection of that. This would be the brilliant, wonderful, and will forever be indebted to our teacher Ajahn Sumedha when he, he encouraged us to to periodically reflect on the perfection just of every condition. That every condition, especially the ones that are difficult to be with, are like orphans. 
orphans that have been locked in a dungeon, the orphans of consciousness that, that need to be allowed some light, some gentleness, some kindness. Really to explore what happens when we do that. We'll take some time today for those who are interested to actually uh, go through a few just simple meditative, guided meditations around cultivating this attitude. Noticing how it takes one to a very spacious place, an allowing place. And ironically, and I'm a slow learner, but ironically, you know, for those of us who really want to do the real practice, really get concentrated, Ironically, the aversion is the very, very obstacle to the depth of concentration. That this sort of practice then, then lays the foundation, brings a unification, an ease, an allowing. And within this setting, it's so much easier for the heart to steady itself where it wants to steady itself. But uh, Tanissa touched on them last night, and just to touch on them again, the blessings the Buddha taught that if we if we make much of this practice, and just, we've been introducing many skillful means, and we'll be looking at us in these last days of the retreat of how how we learn to allow them to become a dance intuitively as we respond and rebalance ourselves within the moment by using some of the very skillful means, the steadying, the patience, the beginning again, the welcoming as we're doing now, and getting a feeling of how these uh, can blend together in our uh, contemplative life back at home. But uh, this is a a particular practice, especially this essential aspect of it, is not learning to not fight in moments, hugely helpful in a lay life where there can then become so much activity, so much dizziness, so much judgment, so much defending, and that in moments, very important, we found in moments of just pausing. Notice how much has been put out of the heart, how much is over there that I'm fending off. The sounds and the fears and the worries and the people that we just don't want to think about. And to get a sense for the energy of keeping things at bay, and then the energy of keeping things at bay in the body, we get all contorted. This is a lot of what we encounter when we, when we come on retreat, and there's all this residual seeking after, which is oftentimes based on being averse to what we don't like. Having moments of just allowing, allowing, allowing. Buddha taught when we, when we practice this, make much of it in our lifetime, there's 11 attendant blessings. Uh, one is that we uh, more and more easily go to sleep at ease. We sleep more easily. 
me more happily. Very good when one, uh, the last thing before uh, at night, even after one is laid down, to get a sense of what preoccupations there are, what fears, aversions, or the dread of it's too difficult and it's really going to be difficult tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, and not to have to crush that, not to have to, I mean, it's exhausting if at the end of the day you've got to make your mind 97% fragrant. But, but to, is it possible just to be kind to the panic, be kind to the exhaustion, be kind to, or the feeling of ease that we've lived a good day, whatever, welcoming the body, welcoming the sense of buildings around one. Then it can start to emerge, at least having a moment of not harboring any ill will to those around us, allowing, may they be at ease, not saying we approve or disapprove, just allowing the mind to, from a contracted place, to notice its natural illimitability, natural spaciousness. Makes a difference on how we rest. And we wake happily. More and more through a lifetime as we practice this, there's a going to sleep more at ease and awaking more at ease. The third attendant blessing is that the dreams become more at ease, more pleasing. As we're working on the conscious level, little by little by little, let's give it time, it's not instant. I did metta for 15 minutes yesterday and I had a nightmare last night. Give things some time. I mean, can we have metta for the nightmare? Can we have metta for the sense of it's not working? More willingness to be with as we practice in what happens in the waking state, little by little permeates through the body, through the heart, through the sleep state as well. We then become dear, the fourth one is dear to humans, and the fifth one dear to non-humans, animals and, and non-humans. And this is also a very important one. Sometimes we can really feel starved and, and lament and feel the pain of the lack of sensitive energy in the world. Everyone's so busy going their way, and, and it feels like it's just a world of judgment, and a world of harshness, and a world of war, and one can really, really crave that energy of kindness, energy of intimacy, in terms of the gentleness, something, that sense of being connected. We can really wish that for that, and really feel we can feel like a victim if we don't receive that. And part of that is the, is the perfection of how it is now. Part of it is the perfection. And, and the Buddha taught, if we want to understand where we want that to come into our life, well, let's use the source of that that we have right here. Yes, it is very nice when one has uh, externally received kindness. But can one can one actually have metta for that very discouraged feeling which we've just contracted around? Oh gosh, nobody loves me, nobody's kind to me. I'm just hopeless. Can one can one welcome, be with, be gentle with that? Have time for that. Time for the sensation. 
even in our heart, think of the building. Allow the heart to include that with kindness. Even if we feel alienated from everybody, at least allow into our heart the sense of whoever's out there. Allowing the heart to at least sense that these other beings around me are arising within my consciousness, within my space. So may they be okay. May they be a ease. I can even make a gift of breathing out a wave of kindness. May you at least not be harmed. May you at least not feel pain. Making a gift. We start to have more of a spacious place. That kind of spacious place is inviting to other people to come in. That's why, that's why it attracts that. That's the way to attract that sort of energy. That's the cause and effect. That's the lawfulness of that sort of energy. We, we generate by developing it for this body, for this space, for this heart. That's what then gives rise to the reciprocation. Having more occasion where then one feels that in one's life. That works with humans, it works with animals. And it also, the Buddha taught, works with the invisible beings. Whether one believes it or not, it's up to you, but uh, one can, can at least be open to see a little bit beyond our just scientific mind. Well, I can't see it with this eye. But to just be open to the possibility. I can then begin to, as one relaxes, one can start to feel subtleties and energies that one hasn't been aware of before. The sixth blessing is immune. Buddha taught we become more and more protected from harm, the protection and a powerful healing agent. He said we can become immune from death by poison or fire. And we say, okay, I've with you so far from most of them, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> okay, we can... Can we just at least hear that? Just to kind of hear the possibilities of... Uh, the sense of how everything is interconnected. The sense of how when the heart starts opening up, making space, we start to more be unified and be linking in a deep way with the recognition that everything is a part of this one abiding. Just at least to ponder it, rather than to believe or disbelieve, ponder this, this teaching that the most protective thing one can do is be a kind person, loving person. Notice that uh, the converse of that is sometimes some of the more toxic things we can do. We might think it's protecting, protecting us, but then when there's a lot of rage, a lot of anger, noticing what that can do to our body, what that can do to our space, what that can do in terms of setting things in motion that come back and smack us. So just to ponder this, this possibility of it being a healing, powerful healing, protective, cooling, transformative energy.
I don't suggest we jump to this level of the practice just uh, right off the bat, but a wonderful story in the scriptures of an of a intoxicated, raging, mad elephant charging the Buddha. Was the state executioner. This elephant was the state executioner in uh, uh, King Bimbisara's realm. He arrived here in India, and the uh, Buddha's first cousin had gone mad, really, who was in the order and wanted to take over the order and tried to kill the Buddha. So he he bribed the the uh, Mahut who was looking after the state. This elephant would step on people as their their punishment, they would get killed. And so he, uh, the Buddha's cousin, bribed this, this Mahout to feed a big vat of alcohol to this uh, angry elephant, and, they, and he got into a rage, and they turned the elephant loose while the Buddha was on his arms around. And so, you know, the idea was that this uh, elephant would trample the Buddha. It was in a fairly narrow street. And... Um, you know, the story, the story is this elephant was charging, trumpeting at the Buddha, and, 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 and the Buddha just stood there. And then his loyal disciple, in his metta, thought, my gosh, I can't just allow the Buddha be trampled. So he was going to throw himself in front of the Buddha, and the Buddha just said, don't worry, Buddhas don't get trampled by elephants and none. <laughs> and uh, he, he, he just uh, held the, in his gaze with non-harming, with kindness. The, the Buddha, the uh, elephant sergeant. And maybe this really stretches our uh, uh, credulity. <laughs> Supposedly the Buddha, uh, the elephant slowed down, slowed down, and even <laughs> even bowed to the Buddha. So maybe that's a bit much to try it out right off the bat, <laughs> uh, uh, stepping in front of a charging elephant. But I have noticed many situations in my life where when I've been willing to be with, be kind to, that it can be transformative. I don't uh, have the time to tell you now the situations where angry people have appeared and taunting people and just the willingness to, to be with, to let them laugh, to, to, to allow, to engage with, to include, can have a very, very powerful shifting impact, quite uh, strangely, quite miraculously. Seventh blessing is that uh, we become protected by the invisible beings, according to the Buddha. Because when we're living with a heart that's more open and allowing, we illumine the natural light of our being shines forth. We include and touch other beings around us with this well-wishing that the invisible heavenly beings want to protect us. And this next one, number eight, there's quick mental concentration. And I've really found this to be over the years when I've been so keen on my special, contracted, very subtle state and getting really disturbed by the clocks and things like that. At times when one just makes the meditation, allowing the clock, allowing the disturbance, allowing this, just noticing if you're really struggling with something, what happens then if one, if one then makes the meditation acceptance, 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 acceptance. That is where it takes one. Here, relaxed, whole, 
that then can become a very easeful basis from which to investigate, from which then to begin again in terms of our topic, if there's a topic of contemplation. The ninth uh, blessing the Buddha taught is it beautifies, it beautifies the countenance. We could trust this, we could save ourselves a lot of money. <laughs> we could learn to trust uh, the, the deeper beauty that really wells up there when, when, we're, when we're at ease. Mm. We can try so hard to kind of keep that hidden and that hidden and that, uh, that highlighted and that... <laughs> That best foot, which you say was my best side, and then it can really get very contorted. Or it might have the surface looking pretty nice, but the emanation is one of something different. So just to get a feeling, so when we're really angry, see if we can go look in a mirror. And notice what happens when we feel at ease and welcoming. Just, just notice what, what that's like to trust that. So much um, painful conditioning around our appearance. Can we really just trust? And we've all encountered it, the beauty of a being when their heart is good. When their heart is good, we can, there might not be classical beauties to put on the front of Vogue, but we, we feel touched. That's beautiful. Can we trust that? In moments, moments, in the last two, dying peacefully and being reborn beautifully, easily, peacefully. In other words, comings and goings become easeful when one develops this allowing heart. Today, um, let's uh, cultivate the, the essence of this uh, practice, this noble abiding, this Brahma Vihara. And finishing with uh, what the Buddha said about this cultivation, his teaching on metta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm, wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing, in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease.
Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies, downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the divine abiding. By not holding unto fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. <laughs>